the Cuse Conversation with award-winning podcaster and author Stacey Sims, a 1993 Syracuse University graduate who's been sharing stories, advice, and news about diabetes on her Diabetes Connections podcast through her blog and in now two books highlighting her, we'll call them adventures, as the world's worst diabetes mom. And I got into an argument with somebody online about how I raised my son, which I, I can't believe how sometimes these arguments go on social media. I don't engage in them anymore, but back then I was. So he said, you're really gonna hurt your son. I mean, he was really nasty about it. And I said, I must be the world's worst diabetes mom. You know, I slammed the computer down and then I went, oh, that's it, that is it. You'll hear more about Stacy's approach to raising a son with diabetes and how she's found professional success as a trusted voice in this space. Stacy also shares some strong thoughts about the business of broadcasting, including some very pointed advice for young women in the industry. Stacy spent several years in television news and talk radio. She also talks about her lifelong connection to Syracuse University and the relationships that she's made with the people she met at the university. But we started our conversation with the interesting career evolution that's led her to where she is. It really is interesting to think about and look back on. And thanks so much, Chris, for this opportunity to come and talk to you and, and share these stories. I'm excited about kind of looking back, although I'm a little nervous about looking back. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking, looking back is the easy part, right? Looking okay, back, okay. you know what happened there. There's no, there, there's no twist and turn. No, That's true. That's true. That's why we enjoy nostalgia. <laughs> um, so just to answer your question, I had, I won't go rehash the whole thing to start, but I was working in radio. I had what I considered my dream job doing mornings in Charlotte, being part of a very successful morning show team. And then a lot happened as happens to people in radio that was unsettling. You know, we were sold a billion times. Um, I worked at WBT in Charlotte and the last people we were sold to while I was there paid an enormous amount of money for us right before the crash of 2008. And then they were left with a very niche couple of radio stations that they knew they could never sell for the amount of money that they paid. So it became a game of cost cutting across the board, even more so than radio had been for many of us who'd you know, been in, in the field for many, many years. And for, for many reasons, which I'm happy to share, um, I decided to leave. I decided to leave on my own account. Um, I was very tired of getting up at 2.30 in the morning. I had done that for television in the past too as, a, as an anchor. And I, I wasn't quite sure what to do though. I just knew it was right for me and for my family. I had a daughter in middle school who I was trying to stay up with. <laughs> you know, I was trying to stay up till 10 o'clock at night. It was very difficult, things like that. And so when I was taking some time for myself, I listened to a lot of podcasts. This was in... 2011, 2012, 2013, when podcasts were around, certainly, but they were not as popular as they are, and they weren't native on your phone. I'd love to talk more about how podcasts got more popular, um, but you had to download them. You had to put them on your iPod. Obviously, that's where podcasts come from, and I would do that. I would download lots of podcasts and walk my dog and listen to podcasts. My son has type 1 diabetes. He was diagnosed in 2006, right before he turned 2. And I listened to a lot of diabetes podcasts. There are a bunch, but most of them were not what I really wanted to hear. They weren't news focused. They were stories. They were first person. This is what happened to me, which is great and fun to listen to and very interesting, but nobody was doing a news podcast. So that's what I did. I said, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. 
Um, I had no idea how to do a podcast. After being on somebody else's podcast, I emailed them and said, how do you do this? You know, what do I, I know how to do the talking part. How do I do the taping part and the distribution part and all that stuff? And he was so kind. He sent me basically step-by-step instructions, which is kind of embarrassing to say now. But again, this was 2014. And I launched my show in 2015, not really expecting much other than this will be interesting. And here we are, 500 episodes, seven years later. It's how I it's how I make my living. It's fully sponsored. I've actually branched out into teaching other people how to make money with their podcasts. And it's been a phenomenal experience. So that's a quick, kind of quick answer to your question. You know, and, and, and this is not a professional development podcast uh, <laughs> per se, but I think there's so much there. And, and certainly, you know, part of it very much I can relate to having done morning television for many, many years and yeah. the alarm clock oh. does and having children of the same age when, when I got <laughs> out, uh, it, it does, it does certainly hit you. But um, I think the idea that is so valuable when it comes to talking about people who are considering career transitions and, and look, it's a scary thing, right? I mean, anytime you leave something that you've always done and you feel comfortable and confident doing it, for the great unknown, it's a scary thing, but you knew how to be a journalist, right? So the newsy part of it was something that was already in you. And you had a very personal connection to diabetes and a passion for learning more about it and understanding it more. So leaning into your skill set and your passion led you down this path. And it seems to be the kind of thing that can be difficult to do if you can't necessarily see clearly, oh, wait, I know how to do this. I, I, I like this. I care about this. Yeah. I think the other factor that I don't talk about too much, but I think is important to share is that I was kind of fed up with the opportunities I wasn't getting. And, and much of that, frankly, um, is, and I, listen, I may be disillusioned. If you ever hired me or didn't promote me and you have another perspective, feel free to email me. But I think, Chris, a lot of that came from being a woman and working in talk radio. When I was hired at WBT, I was 32 years old. I was 31 years old. I hadn't turned 32 yet. I was 31. And that's relevant because news talk radio, you know, what's the audience? What's the age for that? It's a much older skew. It's probably, when I was, we used to joke, right? 12 plus in radio is really like, 55 to dead. It's probably 75 to dead now. It's, it's just a different audience. My co-host and much of the on-air staff, most of them were 20 to 25 years older than me. So I don't know why they hired me. I'm thrilled they did. We had a blast and I'm, I was, it was a fantastic experience all around. But it became apparent pretty quickly that even with some staff changes and some opportunities, those opportunities were not going to go to me. So I had to decide and I was actually told by somebody, you know, keep your head down. You could work here indefinitely and make a lot of money. We were all very well paid for the time. I, I don't know that that's still the case. As I said, that company came in, Greater Media needed to make up the difference. <laughs> They're no longer the owners. Um, so I could have kept my head down and done just fine there. But after a while, you look at that, that yellow legal pad. You draw the line down the middle, right? And you say, here's why I want to stay. I love this. This is what I always wanted to do. It's what I meant to do. Radio people know they're radio people, right? We all know if you've been to Newhouse, you know, you can't stop talking. No, it, right. It's, it's, it's something that uh, you were <laughs> afflicted with right? at some age and, and it never, right. 
you know, it, it never leaves. It's always you're, it, you're either talking into the tape recorder, right, that you got when you were six years old, or you're yeah. building a new set in your house, like somebody in my class did, right? I mean, you just you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're writing this on the piece of paper, and you're saying, okay, I'm making this amount of money. I've got great health insurance. I love my listeners. Um, you know, radio is my dream. This really is a good job. And then the other side, what are my chances for advancement? How much longer can I get up at 2.30 in the morning without getting really sick and ruining my life? What am I, what is my family balance looking like right now? You know, what are my ultimate goals? And so when I looked at all of that, it was very difficult to leave even knowing it was the right move. But part of wanting to go into podcasting was I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to give myself the opportunities. And I wasn't really thinking of this as a big business at the time. I just knew that I had more to say. And I wanted, a, I wanted a bigger microphone. So interestingly, I chose a very niche, right? A very niche audience. And I probably get fewer listeners overall. I mean, I know I do get fewer listeners overall than you're working at a WBT, this huge station, you know, that goes up and down the East Coast. But although I don't know if anybody listens to over-the-air signals anymore, I'm making myself laugh. They have podcasts too. Right, it is radio in 2022. Right, but at the same time, my audience is super loyal, super engaged. They really want to hear this stuff. So it makes a big difference to do this show. I don't know. It's, um, it, it, was a, it was a tough call, but I, I did know I could do it. But at the same time, especially in 2015, I didn't really know what podcasting was going to bring me. I knew it would scratch, like you said, you don't stop talking. It's this affliction. I knew it scratched that itch, but I wasn't really sure if I could make a long-term go at it. But it, but it worked. Things fell into place. You were able to to develop that audience. Uh, I, I, how long do you did you did it take you until you felt like, okay, this this is working. This is something that I can say is my air quotes job. <laughs> That's a great question. When I first started on my first episode, I think I had about 125 listeners, like per episode for the first month, yep. and I'd had a blog that I had been writing for a couple of years. And that blog was, was really very much a side, I wouldn't even call it a side hustle. It was like a side lazy, but we, you know, I just did it because I needed to get some thoughts out of my head about diabetes. I never made any money. And that blog you know, had many, many, many more readers than the podcast did. So at first you're thinking, oh my gosh. And then you have to tell yourself, podcasting is a different game. Podcasting is a different medium. So it took a while to get you know, I have thousands of listeners now, which I'm very grateful for, but it felt like a job because about three months in, my husband said to me, you could make this a business. And I said, I have no desire to make this a business. Like, leave me alone. He had a great job. He had the health insurance. We were in this wonderful place where I could just play. And he said, no, no, really, you've got to look at it. You could. So I said, fine. And I wrote a business plan on a little piece of paper for podcast sponsorship, because coming from news talk, I knew how to do live reads. Yep. I knew about, you know, specialized audiences and things like that. So I pitched it and um, I got my first sponsor. I think I'm the first podcast ever sponsored by Johnson & Johnson. They had a small division called Animus Corporation, which made insulin pumps. And I was really lucky because I worked with the marketing people and they got a signed agreement. We got it pretty quickly, which seemed a little odd. Something was definitely up, but I was happy to sign it. And then I realized what was up because then legal got involved. And <laughs> And my contact came back and said, all right, we have a signed contract. Legal doesn't want to do it. They're terrified of podcasting, but here we go. And I said, okay, you were very smart. And we figured it out. And from there, I got other sponsors. Yes, yeah, she was very good. 
And um, that's what made, made it feel like a business. And then to be invited to speak and to do conferences, I think very gradually within the first year, which was pretty quick, but even still, it, it felt it felt very gradual. And now it's, um, you know, we're seven years later, it's um, much more of a well-oiled, and I say that loosely, operation. Well, it's, but, but, you know, it's, it is, it's something that you now, you know how it works and you know how the sponsorships work and you know the content that, that needs to be there. You've got the loyal listeners, that kind of thing. And you've also been able to kind of shift out of the exclusively audio area. You did have the blog, but now you've gone to print. You've got a book out. You've got another one coming out. How did how did how did you become an author in addition to being a podcaster? Oh, thank you, Chris. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because there was a, a, a local group here in Charlotte, a publishing group, and they said you should put your blog posts together and just put a book out. And a lot of people do that. You know, a lot of people just have either they put Facebook posts out now as books, yeah. right? We'll just gather enough up. It's words, I, it's words somewhere, right? It's words somewhere. We repurpose that content. That's right. Let's go. In a couple of years from now, they'll have TikTok content in books. <laughs> People will be dancing and pointing to words within the books. I love Gosh. it. <laughs> if they could figure it out, I'm sure. Oh, it it's coming. <laughs> so I didn't like that idea because I felt like the blogs were much more stream of consciousness. Here's what I'm feeling at this moment. And I wanted to have something to say. Uh, a lot of wonderful people um, have the terrible experience of their child is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and then a year later they write a book. And, and I have read most of those books, and some of them are good, but I, I felt like I really, not being a medical expert, not being a healthcare provider, I wanted to be very careful, and I wanted to truly have something to say. And I got into an argument with somebody online about how I raised my son, which I, I can't believe how sometimes these arguments go on social media. I don't engage in them anymore, but back then I was. And he was arguing with me about, we're very loose um, in terms of type 1 diabetes, which I, I don't really think we are, but we let our son do lots of, he's very independent. We, we, you know, we, we send him on crazy trips. We let him do stuff. And many parents are more concerned about how much freedom they give their kids because it's a very, it's a very scary condition and you've got to be managing it every hour. So sometimes every minute. So he said, you're really going to hurt your son. I mean, he was really nasty about it. And I said, I must be the world's worst diabetes mom. You know, I slammed the computer down and then I went, oh, that's it. That is it. And I, I screenshot all the conversation and then I deleted my post because I was like, I don't, I don't need his trouble. I don't need this. So I do have it, but it's gone on the internet, I hope. So the book is all about making mistakes, what we learn from mistakes. And it's, you know, in parenting, as you know, you, you have to make mistakes. You can't be perfect. And it's a trial and error. It's better to make mistakes because you and your kid learn from doing that. So that's what the book was all about. Um, it was very well received with a bunch of awards. Very happy about that. And so I decided to write a second one and that'll be out this fall. It is. I wanted to call it the world's worst diabetes mom rides again, but that was shot down. So it's called still the world's worst diabetes mom. Now, you. this kind of was born out of an argument about your your parenting of mm -hmm. your of your son did you, you said the feedback to the book has been, has been obviously really good. It's won awards, but did you get pushback? Were there people who said you are the worst? Nobody yeah. should be like that. <laughs> um, I, I do get a little pushback still um, because, and this is kind of a happy thing. There has been a wonderful change of technology since my son was diagnosed. He was diagnosed in 2006. We don't have to talk all about type one diabetes, but you know he did have an <laughs> insulin pump. Okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Listen to Diabetes Connections wherever you get your podcasts. But he um he got an insulin pump six months later, 
but he got a continuous glucose monitor uh, seven years later. And this is the stuff you see in commercials. It's in people's arms. You don't have to poke your finger anymore. That actually has changed the game in an incredible way. I don't get so much feedback like you're a bad mom, but I do get, well, it's different now. And so the second book actually has a lot to say about that because it is different now. And these are great tools, but we need to use them in ways to help our kids really thrive. Um, the second book also is a little bit more, um, I think you should do it this way or don't do this. Because one of the things, and I'll just spend a little bit of time on this, one of the trends I think is horrible is there's a lot of pictures now. I mean, we all post pictures of our kids. Sure. You know, some of us are more judicious than others. Um, but there's this trend in diabetes and, and without of posting what I call pictures of children in distress. Oh no, my child is sick today. Here's a photo, <laughs> you know? And it seems like, this is common sense to post this because I want your sympathy. I want your help. I want those likes make us feel really good, right? I mean, studies show it releases the same kind of serotonin that we get when we eat something yummy or we hit a, a great hand in blackjack, you know, brains giving you those feel good things. So that's one of the chapters is like all about sharing those photos in the hospital and when your child is sick and why you really can't leave a, and you can't leave an electronic healthcare trail either these days. Got to be really careful. Interesting. I, I do. I, I am curious, you know, obviously your son is very kind of centric to this whole thing. How does he feel about? <laughs> he thinks it's the greatest thing. He's, <laughs> he's fabulous. He's very open. Um, I do approve everything. I, my, my daughter, who's three years older, we approve everything together. I don't share every story. I don't, it looks like we are very open. Um, we are to an extent, but I'm very private about certain things. I'm very careful not to name his poor healthcare providers who are fantastic. They don't get real names in the book. I don't want, you know, that's none of anybody's business. We don't share specific numbers. Um, I'm, I am careful. I'm probably not as careful as I think I am. But, um, but he's terrific and he's very open. Um, he comes on the podcast every once in a while. And I'm told that, the, that younger people like teenagers and kids like to listen to that. I'm always mortified because <laughs> I, I want, I'm like, you know, tell people you do it right. He's like, well, I forgot to do this and I forgot to do that. It was fine. And I'm like, no, tell him I'm a good mom. You know, so it's, it's funny. It's transparency. It's authenticity. Ugh, we like Authenticity, that. yes. Right? Those, are things, those things are important. <laughs> All right, so let's let's go back. Let's go back a little further. Let's mm -hmm. go back to, uh, to 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 your Syracuse story. Um, you know, as as we talked about, your career started in traditional broadcasting, in in television, and then in radio. Um, was that always the thing for you? Was that always the big dream? And is that what drew you to to Syracuse? Yeah, I I was one of those kids. Um, I grew up in suburban New York City. Well, I grew up outside of New York City. So, I, you know, Westchester County, which is 30 minutes north. My dad went into Manhattan all the time. So we were, he worked in Manhattan. And I don't know why that came out all garbled. My goodness. I grew up in suburban New York, outside of New York City. Let's put it that way. And I listened to Howard Stern and Don Imus, right? Because that's who was on the radio at the time. And my parents, they didn't care. Whatever you want to listen to is fine. And I just thought that's the greatest. I'm going to grow up and be... Um, Charles McCord or Robin Quivers, the sidekicks, the newsreaders. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. I just thought they were brilliant. Um, I, I really enjoyed them, especially Charles McCord was such a big influence on me. And I kind of weird as I'm looking back, you know, for a young woman to think that way, but that's what I wanted to do. He, he I, was, he was, you know, and, and, and I, I, I know I, I can hear our Midwest and West coast audiences saying, Oh, this New York, you're, you know, it's all <laughs> East coast bias, whatever. 
But look, I, I grew up in Connecticut, right? And so I, I also listened to Imus. And McCord was the, the news straight man, like had the funny line that just, you know, because he was always the straight man, delivered it in a way that that it was funnier, right? It just, it, it worked. So I, I get that. I can relate. Obviously, you know, I, I kind of had that similar experience as a child too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the difference for me too, was we also listened to um, a lot of the FM stations, right? And they all had the same kind of morning show, two guys and a girl. And the girl was always laughing and giggling, the giggle girl, right? And she was kind of a, you know, kind of a secondary character. And I knew I didn't want to do that. Hmm. That was really imprinted on me. So in middle school, our middle school, I have no idea how this happened. I think it was just a question that we had the space. We had the quote unquote TV station for our community college. Now this was in the early eighties, right? So like, this was amazing. We had TV cameras in the middle school. And if you got to school early, you could take the high school bus in and get to school an hour early and you could fool around in the studio. They gave us once or twice a week, they gave the middle schoolers a chance to, you know, thank God there's no video evidence of any of this, but <laughs> we got to do newscasts. And I just immediately fell in love with that. So when I got to high school, there wasn't a TV studio or radio station, but I wrote for my school paper and I knew that's what I wanted to do. So of course, everybody said, go to Syracuse, go to Syracuse. So I said, oh, okay, I'll go to Syracuse. Um, I was thinking of majoring in policy studies and I actually got a scholarship from Maxwell. <laughs> I got an academic scholarship from the other school. <laughs> so I was a dual major for a little while, I actually was a dual major at graduation, but poor, I'm sorry, Maxwell, I totally abandoned you. I did not pay attention. I did not do as well in those classes because once I got to Newhouse, it was all over. I just loved it. And I went to Z89. I went to UUTV. I went to the Daily Orange all in the first week. Citrus TV now, I guess it's Citrus, yeah. Sorry, yes. Um, but I went to all three in the first week and I was like, well, which I'm going to do them all. And of course you can't do them all. Um, and I did a little bit of the news at Z89, but I found, which is so funny because this, that's where my alumni love is now, but I, I didn't like it. I found that I, I felt like the giggle girl. I felt like they want, I did the news, but I just didn't, I didn't fit in. It wasn't my cup of tea. It, maybe it was the personalities that were there at the time. I have no idea. I wasn't treated poorly. I just didn't do the role I wanted. And then I went over to UTV and did whatever I wanted and had a great time. And again, thankful that there's no video evidence. <laughs> Oof, I don't know yeah. how kids do it with YouTube. <laughs> right, exactly. It's all digital now. We, we have, uh, if, if somebody happens to have the no, no, I VHS tapes, please. I will write you a check, but like to uh, do not. But I also stayed writing for the Daily Orange uh, for about a year or two, and that was fabulous. Um, and after college, well, during college, I was very fortunate. I got an internship um, at WSYR Radio and became their weekend reporter. So my whole senior year, I worked weekends at WSYR being the worst reporter. I mean, no one trained me, no one taught me. I showed up, I didn't know how things worked. I didn't, I missed a lot, but it was very, very, very good, uh, very valuable. And I also interned at uh, the NBC affiliate. So when I graduated, I got a job in Utica and then I came back and got a job doing mornings at the station where I had interned at, uh, W is, I don't even know what it's called anymore. WSTM at the time. Yeah. Okay, still STM. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's my whole Syracuse thing. So I'm happy to talk more about it, but that was the lap I did. Well, when you, when you do look back at that time, when, you know, you really are kind of taking it all in, trying to figure out where can I, where can I get experience? Where can I have fun? I mean, you, you know, at the time, maybe you're not, you are thinking a little bit about the experience, but you're also thinking about 
where is this just fun? Where is it fun to be and, and you know, to, to, to experience this college thing? But when you look back, what, what stands out as the things that you were able to get out of that experience that you still find yourself leaning into now? You know, it's funny. Um, if you had asked me 10 years ago to answer that question, I think I would have had a very different answer. The lens that I now look back on my entire career in broadcasting is, is tinted. I was almost going to say tainted. I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> but it is tinted by knowing so much more and having a better vocabulary to talk about being a woman in broadcasting. Mm. Um, I, I have to say that one of the best experiences I had was at WSYR because it literally was get us stories for Monday. We just need stuff. We don't really even care what you cover over the weekend, but you better leave stuff in the Monday file. And there wasn't much guidance and there was no GPS. And I drove around looking for stories and making stuff up. And I was sure I was going to be fired every Monday. But that was an incredible, <laughs> really was. I miss, you know. I, I do feel the need to say making stuff up. Oh, <laughs> you mean, you mean finding things, right? I just, yes, I, they, enterprising stories, enterprising stories. <laughs> Right. I'm, here's here's making stuff up. It's a sunny day and the car wash is busy. Yep. So I'm going to do a story about the car wash and how people are desperate to get their cars clean. Yes, not making stuff up. That's enterprising. We love that. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yes. Um, that's that's, that's but, the new house adjunct in me right there. Yes, I, I got another making stuff up for you. I missed, this couldn't have been on the weekend or maybe it was, but I missed a jury decision. I had no idea how courts worked. I thought it was like business hours. I mean, I really didn't know anything and no one was teaching me. It was one of those really interesting experiences where, of course, that's how it, it's work, it works, but you don't think about it. And I completely missed it. So I missed the story. But I called uh, an attorney that I'd had as a contact at home and got his analysis of the verdict. And so that was the story I quote made up. And actually, it was the first time I got picked up by the AP. So that was really exciting for me. And it was a real lesson in, okay, you missed it. Now what do you do? You messed it up. How do you fix it? So those were the invaluable lessons I learned from WSYR. I also learned that some men in broadcasting are real jerks. And you've got to be really careful that you're not taken advantage of, that weird things aren't happening at work, that you're protecting yourself. Um, and that's unfortunate to say, and I hope it happens less. This was in the early 90s. Um, it never even occurred to me to tell people, um, you know, nothing, I mean, I don't want to be, nothing criminal, right? But uncomfortable. I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old and comments about my looks, um, you know, can you put my microphone on for me? You know, like creepy, gross stuff that now you would say, are you nuts? <laughs> Back off. But at the time, I don't think we even realized, at least I didn't, um, how to manage through those situations. I knew that it was creepy and I knew I didn't want to be alone with him or him. And if the newsroom was deserted, I was going to take a lap around the building and hope somebody from Y94 was there. Um, and it's, I'm laughing as I'm talking about it, but it is a serious topic. And I have, I've looked back on a lot of my career like that. It's really been eye-opening. It's, it's a, it's a serious topic that, you know, as you mentioned in the early nineties was happening, but not being talked about. Right. Do you feel like looking at the industry now it is being talked about? more than it was, um, you know, should it be talked about more? If you were to, to give advice to, to a young woman entering the field, would, would you, you know, look at some yeah. of, of what you experienced and say, just be aware of this, watch out for this. Yeah, I, like I, maybe there's more awareness of it because of 
of what we've kind of seen happen in the industry? I think there's a lot more awareness about it, but I think that the conversations still need to be happening. And I do talk about it to women all the time. When we come back for these, like for the Z89 alumni weekend or for other things, I'm always talking to young women. The advice I try to give them is all about being a better negotiator for your salary and your place at work. It took me a long time to figure that out. And if this is happening, if this kind of stuff is around, here's a better way to deal with it. Um, but I also talk to the guys about it because sometimes they're, they, you know, the best behaved quote unquote men sometimes don't even think about it because they would never do it. So they're not, they're not going to be aware of it. They're not going to look out, you know, for their coworkers. So I do think it's getting better, but I also think it's because, right, we talk about it, but especially like in local television, that's all run by women. I mean, at least it was when I was there, (laughs) you know, there was this whole thing in the late nineties, like, where are all the men? And part of that was because the pay was so lousy, they were all leaving. Um, and a lot of the women were staying because, you know, they different options, different schedules, different things. But it, it was, it's Googleable that you can find that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that it's getting better. I think it's also, there's always going to be jerks out there. And there's still guys in the business that are, that refuse to leave. <laughs> They're 110 years old. Get off the radio. Give somebody else a chance, Right. We all know those guys. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they've, they've been comfortable for a long time. And you know what it is? They're comfortable, but they also have no, they have no life off the microphone. Yeah. They, they are afraid to leave because that's all. I mean, I don't want to, that's it. and I'm not talking about anybody specific. The guys I worked with were fabulous. <laughs> right. Just broad generalizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talk about coming back. You do come back to campus. Um, you t- you've talked about WJPCZ89. Obviously, I have on this podcast talked <laughs> to people from it and talked about my own affinity for that organization. But what what does it mean to you to, when you when you kind of think big picture and think about being a part of of this orange family um, that that continues to to stay engaged with each other and with the university? What does that mean to you? I think it's the most amazing thing. I just absolutely love it. And I I was not, as I said, I was not as strongly involved during college. Um, my senior year, my I hadn't been at JPZ in, in, since the end of my freshman year, probably. And my roommate was Beth Russell, who is now Beth Porab. And um, she just kept taking me to the radio station and kept taking me to like social events. You know, we were, and we were, I wouldn't say we were competitors, but we, we were, how do I say this? We thought we were hot stuff. I was working at SYR. She was working at Y94 in the morning. We were still going to college, right? So we were like, we got this figured out. So we were very simpatico and we're still dear friends. Um, but then I moved to Utica. So it was easy to come back for events. And that's really what happened. I started coming back for the banquet and things like that. It just kept in touch. And then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am now. And it's far and the orange is different. There's like Clemson orange here. <laughs> maybe Tennessee, like it's not the right orange. Right. So it's, it's nice to have that connection. And I also always felt that if I needed something, if I needed a job, if I needed advice, if I need, and I've done this over the years, many, many, many times, um, I have called the people that I know from that organization. Um, you know, I've needed PR help, marketing help, podcasting stuff, questions about this or that, you know, how do you, how do you move through this industry and even stuff with, you know, sending our kids to college now, which is unbelievable, um, <laughs> you know, talking to the people that have kind of been through that and have shared this experience, getting into voiceover work, 
right. I did a lot of that. And I, I had a lot of people to talk to and ask about it. And I think there's also something about, I, I mentioned, I, I like to talk to the young women about what's going on with them. You know, there's something fun about doing that too. And you know, there's last time I went back, there's like a girl, a young woman who has the same job I had in Utica. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, uh, Tegan is her name. And I was like, this is so cool. You know, and we kind of commiserated about you know, the job and the weather and this, where the station is even is it's at the top of this hill and there's the snow. It's been an amazing connection to have sustained all these years. And it's been, I, I know it's been incredibly helpful and valuable to me. I hope it's been, I hope I've given back something as well. It's just been fun too. Well, that's it. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's lifelong friendships, but it's the friends that you do call because you know, they've got experience in, in marketing or podcasting or broadcasting or accounting or whatever it is that you may say, wait a minute, I actually know someone who does that, who I knew in college, but I've actually known for, you know, a decade or two decades or how many ever decades that we don't want to talk about anymore because, <laughs> because it's been a little while. You know, and we are all, you know, you've mentioned it already. So many of us are reinventing ourselves, yeah. uh, leaving broadcasting. Um, and trying other things and knowing that while we joke around about it, like, oh, we're so old and that we have a long way to go and a lot more to do. And I think that having those friendships and those people sharing in those experiences, we're doing things that if you had told us when we were 19, you know, no, 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 I'm going to be in television forever. I'm always going to be a reporter. I'm going to be a radio show host till I'm 110 and won't leave the microphone. <laughs> But the industry has changed a lot. And that's another topic for other time. I think that's, that's really unfortunate. Um, but when we have these kinds of connections where we can talk about the changes and the things we want to do in different industries we're all in, I think that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Oh, with, without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful thing. And, it's, and, and you're right. You don't think about it when you're 19. You know, you don't, you, know, you don't necessarily, you're thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next, but you're not thinking about the people who, who are around you now, who really can be around you throughout that entire journey, which is uh, it's a pretty powerful thing. It's, you know, uh, it's, and it's special, um, you know, you don't want to take it for granted. So let's, let's look forward. We've done a lot of looking back. Um, we, you mentioned one book is out. The podcast is, is going strong and another book's on the horizon. So tell us where we can, we can find these things in the, in the world. <laughs> Well, the easiest place to go is probably diabetes-connections.com. Um, that's the website that has all my stuff recently. I'm on social media as Stacey Sims, S-T-O-C-E-Y-S-I-M-M-S. Um, and I've got some other stuff coming up next year for, um, for the diabetes community. I got to be honest with you, Chris, every year I say like, am I going to keep doing this podcast? Like how much longer am I going to do this podcast for? Because it's been seven years and I think I'm good for another year at least. At least I, I will be when I start selling my sponsorships next month. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to stick around. When the sponsors expect to be able to, to, to get out there in the world. And yeah. Right, right. And you can't sell your sponsorships in January of the year you want them. And you've got to start early. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be fun to see what's next because I'm not quite sure. I, my, my kids, my daughter is in college. My son will be a senior in high school this fall. So it's kind of like, well, what do I do next? You know, I did 10 years in TV, 10 years in radio. I'm on well, coming up in year eight in podcasting. Like, what? I'm, I'm thinking of doing something new. I just have to figure out what it is. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens next. Too. It's exciting. It's, it, it is. Right? 
it and, really is. And because you've done the reinvention thing to, to a large degree, does that give you a little more kind of confidence in, in whatever kind of wherever this journey goes next? I would say yes, but I will also say that it's so funny, you know, 30 years, which I think is what it is since I graduated, goes by in a blink. But I think almost everybody who comes into Newhouse has that confidence, right? We might be, we might be a little unsure. Like I'm not exactly clear on how this is all going to work out, but ah, stick with me. Like my, I told my <laughs> father when I got my first job out of college, I worked at WUTR in Utica. I was a reporter and I made $12,000 a year. And he was so upset. I paid more for one semester of college. I was like, dad, stick with me. We're going to make it happen. It's going to be great. And even though I don't always have that kind of exuberant confidence in everything, I do feel like it is going to be great. It's going to be just fine. Stick with me. We're going to figure it out. We're going to take the next step. And I, and I meet so many people in broadcasting who are like that because as we have this affliction, I think if you don't have it, you cannot move forward. There's so, it's so difficult. There's so much competition. There's so much service all around the business and trouble and things like that, that you have to kind of have that little voice inside you that is really helping you along. So I don't know what's going to happen next, but I am, I am optimistic. Our thanks to Stacey Sims for her time, for her stories. You can find her podcast, her books, her blogs, and much more online at diabetes-connections.com. There's a link in the description of this episode. You can also find the Cuse Conversations podcast in all of the popular podcast places. So tell your friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm Chris Bellardi. Go Orange.